By the way, we have a new comedy bit up over at youtube.com slash America. First of all, we have the Sanctuary City bit, which is up there and, and really uh, doing very well on YouTube. If you want to check that out, making fun of Sanctuary Cities, I think you'll enjoy that. And also, there's a bit making fun of a new woke Super Bowl uh, in the future that I think you'll like if progressives get their way. It's all up at youtube.com slash America. Be sure to check it out and subscribe to the channel. Click the bell for notifications so you know when these new bits are coming out. Uh, Jamie Kilstein is going to be here today. We're going to talk about the latest in the Saturday Night Live uh, world and all the craziness going on around there. We have the, also the, the latest on the Senate border deal. But we're going to start by doing Super Bowl 58. And yes, it's that time of year. Very soon I will be leaving you and I will be going to beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, home of, you know, hookers and crack and whatever else happens on the Strip. Lots of stuff. Uh, but somehow the Super Bowl is going to be there, too, right off the Strip. I mean, who would have ever believed it was possible? It's been a very, very long time. 58 Super Bowls. Of course, none have ever been in Las Vegas before. They just got a team. And, you know, there's some things that are a lot different about the Super Bowl. Some things are staying the same, though. For example, Bud Light. Bud Light has been a constant presence at every Super Bowl pretty much for as long as I can remember. If you go back, I mean, I still will watch on YouTube with my kids the Bud Bowl commercials because they were I freaking love those things when I was a kid. The Bud Bowl was the best. Um, they've always run commercials during the Super Bowl, and they're going to be running one here as well. And this is how this is being covered. After Bud Light's tough year, it's bringing in Post Malone, Dana White, and a genie for a Super Bowl reboot. And it's interesting to see them sort of constantly sort of flail to get back uh, to the position they were at before they decided to give Dylan Mulvaney uh, a can with her face on it. All this whole year, drops of 30, 40 percent in sales have led up to them really trying, I think, to I think try to appeal once again to conservative drinkers when it gets sloshed on Super Bowl Sunday. And, you know, Dana White's a great example of this. Dana White has kind of been a little defensive of Bud Light after that initial thing. And, you know, people like Dana White. Conservatives like Dana White. They like him. They like, uh, they like you know, they like guys punching each other in the face a lot. And it's, uh, it's something that, you know, conservatives have, when they, they are trying to, like, use the credibility of these figures to buy back an audience. And, look, if you're consistent with that message over a long period of time, people probably will come back, right? Like, I, I don't think people despise Bud light till the end of a time i just felt betrayed by them or let down by them or just annoyed at their pandering if, if nothing else you saw the peyton manning being used in one of those commercials now we're seeing uh, dana white as well uh, so you know in that way you know the super bowl is similar it's the same it's a big event it's going to be the most watched event of the year we all understand that san francisco versus kansas city and in, in, in a good matchup even though i really i can't stand san francisco i mean i gotta I, I, I gotta be honest with you i would tell you if, uh, if I was okay with, yeah, who cares who wins this one? Honestly, on this one, I just can't stand San Francisco. I'm sick of Kansas City as well at some level, but not nearly as much as San Francisco. I just don't want to I'm sick of them whining about every time they lose. So that's my own thing. I mean, that's my own preference. Anyway, while some things are staying the same, some things are changing in a big way. Um, of course, with the biggest change that everyone has to talk about uh, as part of, um, this is a federal law now, uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell welcomes the Taylor Swift effect. With open arms. Shocking development there. I, I, I'm surprised the head of a giant sports league would welcome the fact that the most famous person in the world is just at their events all the time and they get to put them on camera for free. I'm shocked they would embrace that. 
Of course, as a sports fan, at times this can be a bit much. I don't necessarily need more coverage of Taylor Swift. What I do uh, like is coverage of the actual game. That's what I like, but I understand it's a bigger event. The Super Bowl is bigger than just uh, that. In fact, it's, it goes all the way to our military uh, when it comes to uh, Taylor Swift. Um, bizarrely, the Pentagon has put out a statement about Taylor Swift and the fact that she is apparently not a PSYOP. Uh, the uh, headline is, of course, wonderfully covered. Pentagon to MAGA world, you need to calm down over Taylor Swift. As if this isn't almost exclusively a media creation, right? I, mean, I know there was a few people who were talking about this, but they did put this out. Uh, a Pentagon spokesperson actually gave this as a real quote. We know all too well the dangers of conspiracy theories. So to set this record straight, Taylor Swift is not part of a DOD psychological operation, period. Now, of course, the DOD has had psychological operations before, and they didn't tell you then either. That doesn't mean that Taylor Swift is part of anything here. She's just super famous and also liberal. So, yeah, you know, is she going to be able to pull some voters over to Joe Biden if, if and when she endorses him? Which, of course, she will. I mean... This is, she's already been endorsing liberal candidates. It's not like some big secret. She's been doing it publicly for years and years and years. Whether that's going to affect the election is a whole other story. Another huge change in the Super Bowl, and this is one I never thought I would see in my life, was how the NFL has made a 180-degree turn on the issue of gambling. When I was a kid, like they like put Jimmy the Greek... On like the, the behind a fence so you could barely see him. He'd give his like one line that he talked about and no one on any broadcast would even bring up betting lines. It never was part of it for years and years and years and years. The idea of an NFL franchise in Las Vegas was unthinkable. The, the, the NFL constantly pushed back against gambling. They would prosecute stupid, uh, you know, pools that, that individuals would have with their friends and they'd go after them on this stuff. Forever they pushed this down and down and down and down. And then they had these things pop into their eyes. They looked a lot like dollar signs. And they realized, you know, Americans have a lot of money. They're the richest country in the history of, of the world. And they really would like to throw it away on sports gambling. Now, as a person occasionally might love to throw a little bit of his money away on sports gambling. Most of the time, obviously, I win, but the occasional time I, lo I lose. Um, it's one of those things that, like, is actually surprising. I mean, as a sports fan, the fact that 50 and 60 and 70 percent of the content that goes out from time to time is actually related to gambling is something that was never before even believed to be possible. I mean, you go back 10, 20 years, there's no way people thought this was going to happen. And now we're at a point where it really is part of the culture and we're going to be in Las Vegas watching this happen. It's going to be amazing. Americans are going to be stepping up as well. They are expected to bet $23.1 billion on the Super Bowl. And of course, they were always spending billions of dollars betting on the Super Bowl, not 23 billion probably, but billions and billions. They were doing it overseas. They were doing it with local bookies. They were doing it with their friends. It's always been part of it. The fact that the NFL has decided, you know what, we're going to embrace this is really a huge change in our culture. I mean, it really is. I mean, listen to sports radio. 80% of the ads are about sports betting. And I have no problem with that. I, I, I enjoy to partake every once in a while. But and it, look, people are like, well, it's, it's bad for people. You know, people get to make up their own minds on that. Right. You get to make up your own minds. You know, you, you have to be able to obviously bet within your limits and do all these things that are suggested. Uh, some people can't. And, you know, but that's the same thing with food. and It's the same thing with alcohol. And it's the same thing with all sorts of stuff.
People can be very damaging by their own behavior, uh, but they are in charge of that, not the government, not you, not me. It's them. They get to make those decisions uh, for themselves. We shouldn't adopt a society that builds all sorts of fail-safes in for them when they screw things up. That's not going to be fiscally responsible in the long term. But there are even, yes, betting odds whether Taylor Swift will back Joe Biden after the Super Bowl. Uh, yes, you can get these odds. It's 10 to 1. And I guess the idea is it's 10 to 1 that she will do it at the game or around the game. Because the odds are 1 to 1 uh, that she is going to uh, do the. Actually, I would say they're more like 1 to 10 that she's going to do this eventually. She is very much invested. We played clips of, of Taylor Swift earlier when we were talking about this issue. Uh, that, you know, she like is liberal. And you know what? There are people of all kinds. She obviously, I mean, if you listen to the clip, she doesn't really understand those issues all that well. But you know what? It's our job to try to uh, change those views and, and try to um, uh, win her over maybe at some point. It would be, I guess, a big win for conservatism. But again, if Taylor Swift became conservative, she, number one, would no longer be a celebrity. And number two would be called every bad name in the book because they would abandon her like they would abandon anybody else. When you make that transition, you're dead to them. And I don't think that's a psyop. It's just true. All of this stuff is true. Roger Goodell really wants Taylor Swift to the games because it helps his ratings. Uh, Taylor Swift really likes Joe Biden. Well, I don't know if you really, nobody really likes Joe Biden, but really wants a liberal and does not want Donald Trump. And she will endorse whoever the Democrat is. That's all true. That doesn't make it a psyop. Things are changing, though, I will say quickly. And, 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 and you know, the game's different. I mean, you go back and watch. I was watching the Pro Bowl with my kid the, this past weekend. They're doing flag football now. Like, they've just given up on actually playing a football game for the Pro Bowl. And that's after about 10 years where the game looked nothing like a football game. They would all just kind of, like, barely try to tackle each other. When I was a kid, even the Pro Bowl, they, they went after big hits. They tried to tackle people. That's all gone, and we're going down this woke road. It gets farther and farther and farther down this woke road. If you look, I don't know, 10, 20 years into the future, can you imagine what this game is going to look like? Great moments in progressive history. Super Bowl Sunday. It was perfect game day weather at the Stadium for Tolerance, Understanding, and Football, if time permits, in downtown San Francisco. Equalitor's wide receiver, Francis Wiffelstriker, was filled with elation. For two straight seasons, he had ridden the bench for accidentally changing the locker room TV channel off of MSNBC. But today would be his redemption. At the conclusion of Supreme Chancellor Clinton's polytheistic and polyatheistic non-faith-based incantation of positivity, Wiffelstriker took the field as the game was about to begin. Career referee Charles Bottompatter examined both teams to ensure that both contained enough racial and sexual diversity before handing the ball to the player with the most contributions to MoveOn.org. Time out! After Wiffelstriker's exhilarating run, the play is stopped so that the athletes can rehydrate and check themselves for injury. Time in. Wiffelstriker hands off the ball to the other team so that they can have equal time playing offense. Time out. Bottom patter pauses the clock and excuses the players from the field so that they can call their girlfriends and remind them to take their federally mandated Plan B pills. Time in. Wiffelstriker races back out into the field and... Wait! 
Timeout again. Bottom patter spots an insect on the field and identifies it as potentially endangered. Play is wonderfully stopped once again, so that section of the field can be blocked off and not disturbed. Time in. Wiffle Striker is awarded a free touchdown for respecting all the other players' dietary preferences by eating mid-game sandwiches made of only whole grain bread and three-day-old lettuce. And that's the ball game. After five intense minutes of play, referee Bottom Patter determines that both teams have done a really super wonderful good job and tried really, really super darn hard. All players are awarded participation rings and no scores or statistics are recorded. Supreme Chancellor Clinton congratulates the crowd for being in her presence and extracts a 15% game enjoyment tax before boarding her hover jet back to the White Mansion. And that's another great moment in progressive history. Well, uh, by the way, that's available at youtube.com slash America. Make sure to share it with everybody you know. Uh, whether you have uh, three minutes or 30 minutes in the morning, you can keep your face wrinkle-free with Gen 90. It's the new instant wrinkle treatment from GenuCell, the perfect Valentine's Day gift for yourself or your Valentine. Gen 90 instantly reduces the appearance of wrinkles anywhere you use it, around the eyes, uh, the forehead, the crow's feet, the laugh lines, even the chin, and it starts working in seconds. There's a reason why GenuCell has 400% the customer loyalty of other skincare brands. They're just better. They're doing better. Gen 90 is on special right now at the Valentine's Day sale they got going on at GenuCell.com. And it's, of course, included in the best seller package. Before you go overseas and do some weird treatment that's going to cost you thousands of dollars, don't do that. Try Gen 90 uh, because you can make your fine lines and wrinkles disappear wherever they are before you even leave the room. And for Valentine's Day, order Gen 90 with every most popular package for over 70% off. You also get a free shipping uh, situation going on and Valentine's Day spa box with every order. And that makes you look like you bought two things. And you get the GenuCell stuff, and then you get the Valentine's Day spa box, and you just give them both things. Like, look, I got you two different presents. GenuCell.com slash stew. This is the strategy we're talking about. G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash stew. It's GenuCell.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome comedian Jamie Kilstein back to the show. He is the host of The Back Row with Jamie Kilstein, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. Got the black and yellow thing going on, just like my set. Oh, I mean, yeah. I kind of got the same color scheme. Here. That was, should we not be doing the show together? Yeah, is right. this like a Highlander situation? <laughs> yes, yes, it caused like, some sort of a, I just walk out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, a bunch of stuff that's going on yeah. in the world. I, and, and I thought of you when I saw this post on, yeah. on social media from the Saturday Night Live account, yeah. which just, and they do this every, I guess, week or whatever, and they post what's going up, and they yeah. got the musical guest, and they got the host, and the host, in a couple weeks, is Shane Gillis. Sure is. <laughs> which sure is, is just <laughs> no. incredible. I know. Now, you know Shane, right? Like, I do. You're a comedian. You yeah, run yeah, in these yeah. circles. Yeah, I he's mean, great. You, so, you, is he a good guy? Like, yeah, totally. Not a homophobic racist? Not a homophobic okay. racist. Mm -hmm. Just racist. Okay, uh, just <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I mean, just like, such a good dude. And he talks about it. Mm -hmm. Um... You know, I really look up to him in in, in a couple ways because uh, he got canceled and more successful than me. So, like, really just eyes on the prize for me. Um, but he didn't go, you know, so many times now we see if somebody gets canceled by the left, 
they're suddenly just like, well, I always watch Tucker Carlson. It's like, always? Really? Yeah, right. You're suddenly like, <laughs> right. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that even me being uh, moderate and being friends mm-hmm. with guys here, mm-hmm. um, people just go, oh, there's that horrible term where they go, he's a grifter. Right. You know, he mm-hmm. changed one political view in his 41 years on earth. It's a grift. Right. And I'm like, yo, I wish I was grifting. I would be making so much more money if I was grifting. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was so great about Shane is if you watch his special, you know, when you said the homophobic racist thing, is he has bits about being raised in kind of more that kind of world. Yeah. And then living in Brooklyn with like super LGBT hipster friends and whatever. And he has bits about, you know, even his bits about being uh, conservative are, they're so jokey. It's like, I've been watching a lot of history, which is like, means I'm like, it's like, I I think he called it like onset conservatism or something like that. Uh, Early onset conservatism. (laughs) And, um, but he didn't try to like play politics. He truly proved and man, is he funnier than me? Because he truly proved if you are just so funny, um, you don't have to pick a side, left or right. You can just be funny, which is really what it should be. You know, like every once in a while, there's this debate where like either some liberal will post George Carlin mm-hmm. and be like, man, he had it right for the left. Yeah. And then a week later, some conservative posts the same clip. And he's like, that guy, like total conservative. And it's like, that's what comedy should be. And I think now, and I used to do this from the left, kind of. I mean, I criticize the left a lot, which is why I, I never went, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, successful. Um, <laughs> but like when I was super left, like I went on Conan and like yeah. I was talking about Obama drone strikes because mm-hmm. I talked about Bush drone strikes. So I go, okay, well, it's just a, a cooler guy doing it. Like I like Obama's <laughs> Spotify playlist. I'm sure way better than George Bush's. Um, and... Uh, but but we see now it's like you have to have a Trump joke. And if you have something that like skews to the right, like Shane, I, you know, honestly, Shane just looks conservative. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he does, he does. And, and, and so people sort of automatically put him in this camp like conservatives aren't allowed to be funny. Um, and then they just dug and dug and dug and they found an out of context uh, clip from his podcast where he was actually like making fun of like a racist type character using very edgy language, SNL fires him. Um, And then he just goes, all right, I'm gonna get so big, which I mean, I don't know whose idea at SNL this was, but like kinda, I'm, I'm, it's ballsy, actually, by yeah, SNL. I like it. Yeah, there's part of me that I'm like, it's either really ballsy or really cowardly, mm. where it's like, well, you fired him when he wasn't famous. Yeah. Like, the reason Shane and I became, like, Instagram buddies yeah. is because I was, like, the only one who wrote a piece <laughs> for, like, Quillette that probably 500 people read um, <laughs> defending him. Yeah. Um, but, like, wasn't super popular at the time. Yeah, you know, he was uh, up and coming. Uh, besides, the comics were obviously defending him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I- 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 in the news space, and now, you know, I mean, he's playing arenas, he's opening for show. I mean, he's probably the most, one of the most famous comics going. And so now SNL, when he doesn't need the job, when he's not poor, when he's super famous, when he's gonna bring a ton of eyes to them, um, brings him on. So I do think it's, I think it's ballsy and cowardly. Yeah, I think yeah, it's both. I, it if that is. makes sense. It's interesting, and, and you're right about the way he looks. He looks. He looks like a like a, a the the country music star that's doing commercial jingles for like a chain buffet. 
Like, not an like actual he just, star. Like, he just but, got right. divorced, but he hasn't yeah. written the album about <laughs> divorce right. yet. Yeah. So yeah. he's, like, so in, he's in, like that right in between. In that. <laughs> perfect, perfect area. Um, on, the, on, the, on him on SNL, which I think is interesting, it, it kind of brings up this idea. Like, is, is cancel culture dead? Right? Like, right. they just canceled this guy two years ago, was yeah. it? Yeah. He was out of a career. Yeah. He was able to go around this entire infrastructure. Yeah. And now, two years later, he's hosting SNL. Is it dead? Is it on the ropes? Or am yeah. I just too optimistic? No. So that's interesting, right? Because so Louis C.K., probably the most famous yeah. canceled comedian, um, he will still play the garden. He still has all these specials. He still plays theaters. But the mainstream has not accepted him um, at all. And mm-hmm. so every time he does a show, um, I still see there are still protests and, sure. and, and stuff like that. Um, now, like very different in nature, right? There were like um, sexual ac- ac- accusations with Louis, whereas Shane like said something that I think, I think most people saw that and were like, I know I'm supposed to be mad, but like, <laughs> ah. you know, and now Shane has become sort of so like beloved mm-hmm. um, that that's like kind of easier to, to push away. Um, I think that if you have an infrastructure in place, I mean, you're pretty safe. You know what I mean? Um, he didn't really have that infrastructure at that time, well, he though, had did a he? Bunch he built of, it off he, of the back of this almost. Kind of, but he did have a bunch of comics. He wasn't friends with Joe yet, mm-hmm. um, but he did have a bunch of big comics who were defending him. Mm-hmm. But um, he didn't have like a massive he following, He didn't have a massive right? following, okay. no. Um, but see, this is the other thing. I just want to say this. The old, the old liberal in me is like where the left completely screws themselves is if people hear that you've been canceled by the left nowadays, mm-hmm. um, you know, I came up again, my heroes were George Carlin and Bill Hicks and Richard Pryor. These people were probably more liberal than conservative, but they were very funny. They were very edgy. I don't think a, even they would be able to say the stuff no. they're saying. I mean, Pryor was talking about like domestic abuse, right? right. Um, and uh, they, went, oh, they went to those areas intentionally yes. like, to, to mine out impossible comedy, yeah. which is what made them so powerful. And nowadays, I feel like if someone gets canceled from the left, you're 99% right if you think, I bet the guy who got canceled is pretty funny, and you're gonna check him out. And so mm-hmm. what the left is doing is, let's say someone really was, let's say Shane really was racist, mm-hmm. right? You're just sending a bunch of people <laughs> right. who, right. not the people you want, right? over. Right. And so now, like, even when I go to comedy clubs, it seems like every punchline is a political statement, mm-hmm. where if someone just goes I like, like I don't like trans people, the right goes, that's one for us. No. And then if someone just goes, I don't <laughs> like Trump, the left's like, okay. And right. it's just like, yo, where are the the jokes? Right. It just seems like you've taken comedy, this thing that was like this like beautiful, the gift of laughter bestowed by God, and you have just polarized it and made it so unfun and made people have to like check their six before they laugh at a joke. And so y- you're... Maybe you're making him more popular, but maybe you're making him more popular with the people you actually did think he was that he wasn't. Right. And now he, they are there. Right. Um, and so there's weird incentives. Yeah, and that's sort of this. how cancel yeah. culture backfires in general. Um, I do think that I think that not necessarily that it's going away. It's just people don't take it as seriously anymore. Yeah, that's that's good though. Which is good. Yeah. Um, and but what's bad about it is because the left took it to such crazy extremes, um, you know, there are gonna be times where like a woman really does get hurt or someone really is a racist yeah. and people just go, Oh, this silly 
cancel culture stuff. And it's like there should still be accountability, but maybe there should be a little more inquiry. And I think it also taught us on both sides, the right and the left, it taught us that like, hey, chances are if we're jumping the gun to ruin someone's life because of an article we half read or saw a headline and we're so miserable that we have to open up our Twitter and we're like, yeah, I'm gonna show people what I, that chances are you have to get your own house in order um, because happy people don't do that. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's very, very true. And I think, look, there's some, there should be, I think, an incredible amount of grace when it comes to comedians and their jokes, right? Like, that should be, a, I think, a massive, yeah. I mean, less grace for sexual creepiness. Yeah, 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 for but, sure. But still, like, these things have to be taken on a case-by-case basis. And I've said this a million times, but, like, one of the things that drew me to the left when I was younger was this idea, which was funny because I was an atheist and I'm a Christian now, but, like, it's kind of more biblical. It was, like, forgiveness, yeah, and the left are the first ones to just like not just like forgiveness in theory, but like prison reform and like actual mm-hmm. um, paths for redemption, right? And so we, the 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 left will have these paths of redemption for like criminals, um, but it's like someone has a sloppy tweet and they should like never work again. <laughs> right. Like that seems insane to me. And that's when I, I really do think, and maybe maybe this is immature of me to say, it, it's a lot of miserable people projecting. Yeah, yeah. I always go back to the the guy who they found out worked at, uh, or went to Charlottesville, you know, the terrible Charlottesville situation. Oh. And he, he worked at a hot dog store Okay. And they got him fired from the hot dog cart. Right. And it's like, well, what do you, now this guy's, he can't work any, like, I, right. I, I, he was a racist by all extent. Sure. But like, so the better solution is he's unemployed and we pay for him to stay home and be racist on his computer instead of working at the hot dog store? Well, and also like, I'm sure getting the working class guy fired from the hot dog shop is really going to open his eyes to the plight of black people. Right. You know what I, I mean? I don't think like, so. It, it's just, oh. it, this is the thing, right? Like, it's making these people more bitter. Yeah. You have yeah. to give, if you actually care, and this goes back to the SNL thing, right? Did they actually care? If you actually care, um, then you would want to forgive, educate. You would root for them mm-hmm. to become better people or see the error of their ways or whatever. And I remember like, Louis C.K. was one of the guys, the whole Louis C.K. thing just taught people not to apologize. Cause he apologized. Yeah. Yeah. And then they went after him even, even harder. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, then, like, what do you want? Um, right. They, and, and they want a scalp. They want they right. want that win. Um, one more before we go. Yeah. Um, so I, and this is I'm, I'm being optimistic today. I'm okay. just on an optimistic I love this. train. I like it. I like it. I'm going like to try it. my this best to do this. So on the cancel culture thing, I'm watching uh, the the latest Ricky Gervais uh, special okay. that came out. Come out. And Ricky Gervais is really funny. Sure. He, he always is. And he's one of those guys who from the beginning has yeah. been willing to go down like this anti woke thing and yeah. criticize that. Of course, he's also criticizing religion and things on the right and all yeah. these other things. But he's willing to go down that road. And I was watching this last special, and it was funny, and he was making these jokes. And I think this is a really good sign. But it was, for the first time as I watched it, I didn't feel that it was dangerous. That's good. I know, yes. You know, it didn't feel like he was like, oh my God, this guy's risking his career. It felt like it was just something that people kind of knew was true. And he was railing on it. I thought that was a really good sign. Am I imagining that, or is that really where we are? I mean, I um, I definitely had a point where I was like, I guess I should write about cancel culture. And I started writing about it. 
I have a solo podcast coming up on the back row that I talk about it, and I'm really proud of it because I can mm. like dive really deep into the hypocrisies I had, into um, a lot of the stuff we just talked about, yeah. um, and I can be like funny and edgy about it. But when I was trying to write stand up, which is very like, I don't want to say there's a formula, but like there's more. You got you, you got to hit your points. You got to get laughs quicker. Um, I thought the same thing. I go, this is hacky. This reminds me of like- uh, It's new. Yeah, like those 80s posters with like me in a leather jacket smoking a cigarette (laughs) and the special's called like Too Dangerous for TV. (laughs) And you know, that's not dangerous at all, is it? Like, um, that is how it feels. And and I'm such a fan of like The Office and like Ricky stuff. he's a genius. But um, the, I felt the same way. I haven't watched the special because I felt that way. Because I watched him talk about it, I'm like, ah, you're fine. No, yeah, no, right. one's, no one's coming after you. And yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel dangerous anymore. And that, that is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and now kind of, yeah, I, I mean, every comic I feel like has a cancel culture bit. And yeah. has a, um, I mean, that's honestly, that's why I've been diving into these like sketches and podcast stuff on Instagram because I don't want to do stand up until I have something original to say. And, and and that's always, it's something I'm secretly proud of, but it's always been terrible for business, which is I was the most <laughs> political after 9-11 in New York. Then mm. when Obama became elected and I finally start getting on TV, I criticized Obama, but from the left, then Trump becomes president and people are like, you can finally talk about politics. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna talk about relationships for the first time, because I was like getting divorced. Um, and now, you know, now it's just like, I'm Christian, I don't even know if I should be cursing, but I am, and like, it's just, it, it, it's a mess. And so like, I really take the art of standup so seriously that it has hurt my career. And I, everyone is so angry, and they're saying the same things on both sides, that I'm like, until I have something that is so, interesting, and this is gonna sound horrific and like old liberal 17 year old Jamie, but like maybe make a difference. Like Mm. I feel like I can do that on the podcast. I feel like I can talk about on the podcast like, hey, I'm a Christian, but I curse and I've done drugs and I've had sex and like I really love Jesus and like, ooh, I feel like I can talk about (laughs) politics, which is like I both parties are gross, but most people are good. Um, With stand up, I just, I think, because everyone's going down that route I'm just sort of like not interested in it yeah, right now. No, yeah. And maybe I will be when I can right. crack it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, dude, I don't need to be another white dude who's like, I was canceled and it's bad. <laughs> it's like, we don't need that. <laughs> well, your your career arc is like one giant pile of self-sabotage. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's... Dude, I was just talking about that to a friend of mine where when my dad first goes, you're self-sabotaging, it was the, this was like I was younger. <laughs> I had never heard the term. I was like, what a stupid thing. <laughs> like, I, like, who would want to self-sabotage and then just a little bit of therapy? And I was like, it's me. It's me. I did it. That's all I do. Yeah, right. that'll be the next podcast name, a self-sabotage with Jamie Kilstein. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Kilstein. Be sure to ch- catch him on his current podcast. Yes. This is the back row with Jamie Kilstein. And do great stuff going into really talking about this stuff. You're super honest, which is uh, incredibly refreshing. Thanks, so, man. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on, man. That means a lot. It. Thank you. So there's been a lot of conversation about whether the House will block this big border bill that they're calling it. Actually, they're not even going to get that through the Senate. The Senate GOP is going to block the border deal, leaving the Ukraine situation in limbo. Maybe next week we'll go into, uh, you want to talk about the, a deal here? We'll, we'll craft one for you. Maybe we'll do that next week. But one of the things I love is when you really want to know what's wrong with a bill, 
you don't go to conservatives telling you what's wrong with the bill because sometimes they might even exaggerate something. They might not really like it. I mean, you, of course, can get good insight from conservatives, but I want to go a different direction here. What I, when I want to know what's wrong with a bill, I'm going to go to a liberal who's trying to sell the bill to his liberal audience, right? Because what they're saying is it's actually not really that restrictive. We swear. Let me give you an example of this. This is uh, Chris Murphy. He's one of the authors of this. And here are some of the things he's doing when he's like, hey, liberals, you should support this. It's great. Here's what he says about the bill. Uh, in it is a quicker, fairer asylum process. No more 10-year wait. Okay, that's you know good. It would happen faster. Claims processed in a non-detained, non-adversarial way in six months. A slightly higher asylum screening standard at the border. And also no more waiting for work permits. Most asylum seekers can work immediately. Okay, that doesn't sound like a border shutdown, does it? No. Let me give you more. A brand new right to legal representation for all immigrants. Remember when Trump denied lawyers to his victims of his Muslim ban? Never again. And the first ever government paid for lawyers for young unaccompanied minors. minors. A longstanding injustice has been righted. Okay, that doesn't sound like a tough border security bill. How about this one? You'll love it. A requirement that the president has to funnel asylum claims to the land ports of entry when more than 5,000 people cross per day. Let me stop for a second and think about this. This is the thing they've been pitching as a border shutdown, right? The, 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 the news has been reading this. Well, after 5,000 come across, it's a border shutdown. Listen to how Chris, an author of the bill, actually frames this for his audience. A requirement that the president funnels asylum claims to land ports of entry when more than 5,000 people cross a day. The border never closes, but claims must be processed at ports Oh, that's what I've been looking for. I've been really just worried about the processing happening in other places. Uh, They say it allows for a more humane system. Then, but more important checks on that power, it can only be used for a limited number of days per year. Oh, we're learning all sorts of things. It sunsets in three years, just goes away, poof. Emergency cases that show up in between ports still need to be accepted. Oh, so you're just going to say every one of them is an emergency, so the same thing will continue. The ports must process... A minimum of 1,400 claims a day. So not a border shutdown, but you're funneling to them to ports and then you're mi- taking a minimum number of 1,400 per day. That's different than a, than a border shutdown, just so you're aware. And then he says you can't reduce arrivals at the border without allowing for more legal immigration. So more visas, exclamation point. 50,000 extra employment and family reunifications, reunification visas each year for the next five years. And a brand new visa ca- category to allow all non-citizens to visit family in the U.S. How about that one? Just to throw it in at the end. A new visa category. Anyone can come and visit their family members. Well, what happens when they decide to stay? Then what? Do they get deported? Probably not. This is just some of the fun in this border bill. And look, I would tell you to go call your congressperson, but the bottom line is it's not going to be passing anywhere near this current form anyway. You may want to give yourself a little bit of a break because this thing's going nowhere. This past December, drug shortages hit a record high, and this is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments. There are delays. There are treatment cancellations. There are unfortunate rationing of vital medications. That should not be happening in America. I'm not telling you a story about Somalia here. 
talking about the United States, even drugs as important as the antibiotic amoxicillin are in short supply right now, along with 294 others. So what do you do about this? Well, you need to prepare somehow, right? Doctors are saying they don't even know who to give the medication to. Uh, you need the Jace case. And then you don't have to worry, worry about that middleman. Uh, it's a personalized emergency kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can get your own, you can buy a gift card for your family or your loved ones, and then you can get a Jace case of their own and they can personalize it for their needs. Prepare yourself, because it's not just food, it's not just water, it's not just shelter, it's not just the Second Amendment, it's everything you need to prepare yourself, but medication's an important component of this that a lot of people forget. JaceMedical.com, J-A-S-E Medical.com. Enter the code STU at check, check out and you'll get a discount on your order. The code is Stu at jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E medical.com. A picture seared in the nation's memory. President Bush at ground zero three days after the attacks. A bullhorn in one hand, the other draped around firefighter Bob that Beckwith. firefighter with President Bush was Bob Beckwith. Beckwith stood shoulder to shoulder with President Bob Bush. Bob Beckwith, a firefighter from Queens, New York, in his mid-60s. That day, he stood alongside the president and stepped onto the national patriotic stage. Bob, are you there? Yes. Hi, Bob. How are you? Very good. And yourself? I'm very good, sir. Very good. I uh, I just wanted to touch base with you. Um, the, your experiences with 9-11, because I I painted a painting of, of you a couple of weeks ago for an auction. And as I was painting you, I thought, you know, I know this man's story, but not really. First of all, where were you? on 9-11, when it happened? When it happened, my daughter had called me that my grandson, going to school on his bicycle, was hit by a car about two blocks away from me. And I ran over there to see what was happening, and and I saw him on the ground, but he was moving, so I uh, that was a plus. And I found out from the uh, ambulance driver where, what hospital they were taking him to. And I came home to get my car. I, I listened on the radio, and it said a, I heard a guy saying that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything. And, and so I came inside, and, and my wife had it on the television already, and they had cameras there. I was looking, and I said, "That's a little bit bigger than a small plane." Yeah. I, I figured I got a bad day going. My grandson gets hit by a car, and now a, a plane goes in. Where were you living at the time, Bob? I'm living right here in Baldwin, New York. When did the phone call come in that you had to go? Were you with your grandson in the hospital, or what? When did you? Yes, I went to the hospital to uh, be with him. Everybody was watching television at the hospital, and uh, and I I saw the the South Tower come down. Oh my God. Oh my God. One World Trade Center has collapsed in its entirety. One World Trade Center is gone. And then a, a few minutes later, the, uh, the the North Tower came down. The other tower has just collapsed. We need to collapse. And I knew that there was guys in the building, you know, because the firemen were in there. You know what goes through your head when the, it just hits you pretty hard. I told my wife and my kids that I'm going down to ground zero. And they said, don't go down. You're too well. I was 69 years old. And uh, 
they thought I was an old man there, and uh, I'm going to get in the way, so uh, just don't go down there. The next day, I find out that um, Jimmy Boyle, now Jimmy Boyle was the, uh, the president of the UFA, the Uniform Firefighters Association, mm-hmm. and I was one of his delegates. And when I found out his son is missing, I said, that's it, I'm out of here. And I, I suited up the next morning, and I got to go down to ground zero. So you're there. You snuck across the bridge on the yeah. island. Then you you uh, you sneak across the uh, barrier with the National Guard. Right. And then what happens? And then I came into ground zero, and I tell you, it was a shock. Now you can see the people running for, as the buildings begin to cross. running, racing for their lives. One of the buildings is partially the first thing that came to my mind was just as how it probably looked in the, in the blitz when yeah wow you know what happened i i worked down there all that day and i was on the bucket brigade and i found a shovel and i started digging with the guys and we were and we found a, a, a pumper a pumper is a fire engine in the rubble and we told the crane operator to put the the rig out on the, in the street, and, which he did. Some guy comes over and he says, the, the president is here. And I saw the guys put their shovel down and I put mine down and I walked out to the street. And there's that pumper we just dug out of the rubble. I jumped up on it and right across the street was a command post, a tent with all microphones in front of it. I figured, oh, that's where the president's gonna talk. This Secret Service man came over to me and he said, is this safe? I said, yeah. And he said, well, jump up and down on it for me. So I jumped up and down on it for him. And he said, okay. He said, somebody important's coming over here. And when they come over here, you help them up and then you get down. I said, okay. Because you do what the Secret Service guy tells you to do. Mm. The president comes around and he does a hard right and he comes right in front of me and he puts his arm up. So I pull him up and I turn him around and I said to him, are you okay, Mr. President? He said, yeah. And then I start to get down. He said, where are you going? I said, I, I was told to get down. He said, no, no, you stay right here. And he put his arm around me and uh, that's my story. That's unbelievable. It I didn't, is. I didn't really know. Is. I didn't know any of those things. What did the president say to you at one point? Do you even remember when he turned to you in the middle of the speech and he said some things to you? Do you remember? No, we couldn't hear. We couldn't hear each other. We did speak to each other, but we didn't hear each other. It was too loud. The guys were, they were yelling. I didn't remember him having that that megaphone, that bullhorn. Really? And then he started to speak, and he's speaking to the right, and and the guys on the left, they're yelling, we can't hear you. And he's, then he turned to the left with the, with the bullhorn, and he said, I can hear you. And the, the whole world hears you. And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. They went crazy. When they went nuts. They started chanting USA, USA, USA. And it, it, it was, uh, he said everything in those three sentences. 
Well, as I mentioned, I am uh, going to the Super Bowl here, and I'm going to be off for a couple of days. I'm, I will be honest with you, I'm fully in vacation mode right now. Like, my brain is already there, and I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a fun uh, weekend. Wish us luck as uh, to get through the Vegas craziness uh, in one piece. Uh, if you want to check out the bits that we have up, there's a bunch of them up there. There's the Super Bowl bit that you saw on today's show, which is a lot of fun. This week, uh, you got uh, Sanctuary City, which is going gangbusters on the Internet. Um, also, uh, I mean, solar rollers up there. Lots of fun stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm done already. So I'm just going to go. See ya. Bye. Yeah, we'll see you whenever.